Hello everyone, Justin Vakula here with another episode in my Stoic Philosophy series. Today's episode contains audio from my speech titled Stoic Philosophy for Secular Humanists I delivered for the Humanist Association of Greater Philadelphia in June 2017. Watch the video taken during the event on my YouTube channel or my website. Visit my website at justinvakula.com where you can find links to my social portals including Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and see past Stoic Philosophy content on YouTube, SoundCloud, and Stitcher. My Stoic Philosophy series explores the tradition of Stoicism with goals to inform, empower, and help others benefit from practical wisdom of ancient Greek, Roman, and modern thinkers, including Epictetus, Marcus Aurelius, and Seneca. Let's move on to the talk. Thanks everyone for coming today. I am Justin Bakula. As Bob has said, I've been hosting Stoic Philosophy discussion groups for several months now. Bob asked me to give a talk, which is different as this topic is slightly new to me, but I view that as a challenge something that we can do and present some of these ideas. The talk today is Stoic Philosophy for Secular Humanists, and leading us off with an introduction is Marcus Aurelius. He lives in harmony with himself, lives in harmony with the universe. So today's format, I'm going to give you an introduction to Stoic Philosophy. I'm going to provide reasons for why secular humanists can embrace Stoicism. I'll have a topical discussion on main themes within Stoicism. We'll get into that. And Q&A will follow the talk, so please hold your questions, your comments, for after. I plan to talk for about an hour, and then we can have Q&A following that. And dinner will be at the Mandarin Garden Chinese restaurant, where we can continue this discussion and many others. So Stoic philosophy is often known as a philosophy of self-improvement. Stoics thought of philosophy as something practical, that we can learn about ourselves, we can learn about the world, and have better lives through improving our mindset, through reflecting on human nature, reflecting on the world, we can have a better life. Seneca writes in his letters, Tell me what to avoid, what to seek, by what studies to strengthen my tottering mind, how I may rebuff the waves that strike me a beam and drive me from my course, by what means I may be able to cope with all of my evils, and by what means I can be rid of the calamities that have plunged in upon me and those into which I myself have plunged. Teach me how to bear the burden of sorrow without a groan on my part, and how to bear prosperity without making others groan. So the Stoic philosophers recognize that humans, human nature, human life, there's going to be a lot of suffering. There's going to be a lot of negatives along with the positives. So how can we face that? How can we maintain good character? How can we have a good life without being totally crushed by events that happen around us? Stoics talk of reframing events in many ways, which leads us into cognitive behavioral therapy and rational motive behavioral therapy. Very popular methods of counseling that are around today, where some of its practitioners, including Albert Ellis, have credited Stoic philosophy for their field, in that we can think better about situations, view events merely as events, and try to interpret things better. So instead of having some negative cognitions, such as, oh, well, everyone is out against me. Well, maybe we can take a different perspective and see things as they are, have a, a different alternative in which to view things. It's a quote here from Marcus Aurelius. 
take away your opinion, and then there is taken away the complaint, I have been harmed. Take away the complaint, I have been harmed, and the harm is taken away. That which does not make a man worse than he was also does not make his life worse, nor does it harm him either from without or from within. So here he's arguing that we can change our mindset. We can have a different perspective of things in order to better cope, in order to handle what's going on around us. There will be trauma. There will be grief. There will be things that perhaps we can't do. We'll experience the death of a loved one. And Stokes recognize that we're not going to completely suppress our emotions, but rather handle events well, bear suffering, bear hardship, and have a good character while doing it. For me, Stoic philosophy has had numerous applications to poker and has helped improve my game. I'm a regular poker player and I see a lot of calamities at the table. Some people being quite upset after losing a hand because their drink didn't arrive on time, because they don't like the quality of the food, and it seems that their anger really manifests into the game. And they're literally losing money because they're upset. So we see, we talk about in poker that there are certain leaks that you can have. And if you're able to plug these leaks, you can be a more profitable player. Well, with life, the Stoic philosophers will say that we can improve our quality of lives through better thoughts. We could plug the leaks that we have in our mindset and thinking about things. It's a quote here from Epictetus. The materials of action are indifferent, but the use that we make of them is not indifferent. How then shall one preserve constancy and tranquility of mind, and at the same time the due care which saves us from hasty and thoughtless action? By imitating those who play at dice. The counters are indifferent. The dice are indifferent. How do I know what is going to fall? To use whatever does fall with proper care and skill. That is my business. Thus in life too, this is the chief business. Distinguish things and weigh them against one another. Say, externals are not in my power, but choice is. So it's a recognition here that a lot of things are going to happen to us outside of our control. But what can we do? What is in our power? What can we control? We want to recognize and distinguish those things, rather than feeling completely powerless that we can make an effort to make things better in many circumstances. And for those things we can't change, well, how can we cope with that? What is a good way to go about things? You may have heard the, the serenity prayer that's often included in Alcoholics Anonymous. I could possibly argue that this comes from Stoic philosophy in realizing what's inside of our control, outside of our control, knowing the difference between those things. Having acceptance for what we can't change and working to do the best we can with that. We can draw from Stoicism as humanists, embracing its wisdom without being dogmatic. It's a very appealing thing, I think, about reading philosophy, that we don't have to subscribe wholeheartedly to every aspect of it. There might be things we disagree with, there might be questions we have, and that's okay. We realize that over time we gain new information about the world, we have different experiences, and we come to question things. Whereas with some religious perspectives, traditions, some groups, if you happen to disagree with any point, you're absolutely. We, we don't want you in this congregation anymore, or you're a heretic, whatever happens to be the case. But with Stoic philosophy, and with many other traditions, such as Buddhism, which parallels with Stoic philosophy, we can draw what 
is good for us, what can work in our lives, which still seems to make sense. After all, this comes from ancient Rome and Greek, right? Millennia have passed. There's been a lot of time, but yet we can still find many applications of Stoicism today that can help us live a better life. Seneca writes in his letters, Do I then follow no predecessors? Yes, but I allow myself to discover something new, to alter, to reject. I am not a slave to them, although I give them my approval. He also writes, I would have my mind of such a quality as this. It should be equipped with many arts, many precepts, and patterns of conduct taken from many epochs of history, but all should blend harmoniously into one. How, you ask, can this be accomplished? By constant effort, and by doing nothing without the approval of reason. So here we can draw from several traditions, we can draw from the Stoic philosophers, we can draw from many other philosophers and see what works, what is true. We can revise as we go along. This is a good thing. It's a mark of progress. Why Stoic philosophy? Well, secular humanists can embrace virtue ethics based on reason. We might hear from religious individuals or even non-religious individuals. Where do you get your morals from? What reason do you have to live a good life? Where do you get these ideas? Well, the Stoics focus on virtue, on character. We can have certain items such as courage, such as resilience, acceptance. A lot of these things we can look at, build a good character to have a good life, which I'll get into later in the talk. We find that meaning can be found in seeking and applying virtue and overcoming adversity. These are constant themes in Stoic texts. Rather than saying that there is a certain meaning that might exist in life or is externally imposed, we can personally find meaning. Stoics have many perspectives on this, which I'll get into later in the talk. We can know that death is final. It's nothing to be feared. The Stoics focus on this a lot. In the ancient times, even an emperor such as Marcus Aurelius, who had access to some of the best healthcare, the best physicians, many of his children have died, did not outlive him. So there was a lot of turbulence in ancient times, that people would be exiled, people would be killed, there would be diseases. The state of medicine wasn't as great back then. This might have something to do with the Stoics focusing on death. Stoics find that the happy life is up to us. This is a phrase that comes up a lot in the text. We can bear hardships nobly and work to improve ourselves in the situation where we can. So here, we can find that through looking at situations differently, through saying, I want to improve my quality of life, we can work toward this. Change might not happen overnight, it might not be as easy for certain individuals, but as we find ourselves in the world, we hear a lot of people complaining, I don't like my job, I don't like where I live, I don't like this, I don't like that. Well, maybe we can change that. Maybe we can do things, recognize what's in our power, and make a difference in the world, make life more pleasant for ourselves. Stoicism was popularized by ancient Greek and Roman thinkers. I've mentioned some names, Seneca, Marcus Aurelius, Epictetus, Zeno, as we heard, one of the founders of Stoicism, Chrysippus, some other names here. Stoicism is named after the Painted Porch. It's an area where it's taught wise days, Stoic Stoicism, where we have Stoa, Pocat, if I'm saying that correctly, the Painted Porch. Uh, today we might hear the Stoic as just having a really calm demeanor, not showing emotion, maybe people think of Mr. Spock from Star Trek, but this 
seems to be some misunderstandings, or they're not really very knowledgeable about the philosophy itself. It's about analyzing one's emotions again, rather than suppressing them and being unflinching. Okay, well, there's talk in the text about we will be, at times, having a hard time with things, that tears are a natural part of the human condition when we see death, but not to grieve for too long. So we're being mindful of our emotions, we're being mindful of our thoughts, and adjusting accordingly as much as we can. The Stoics believe that philosophy should have practical applications and help us live reflective lives. There's a lot of talk in the text of what good is it if you learn something and you don't apply it to it. Philosophy can get a negative rap nowadays, saying that it's very lofty, it's very academic. What is the point? Who cares about this issue, right? Well, the Stoics are focusing on many things that have relevance to our lives, a lot of practical applications. We want to focus on what's in our control and recognize what's not, a common theme in the Stoic texts. The Stoics encourage us to reduce desires, expectations, and attachments to reduce our fears and anxiety. If we place ourselves in a situation having extremely high expectations and we're crushed when things don't go the way we want, well, we can set ourselves up for a lot of failure. We expect too much from a person, but we don't communicate with them what we want. This can be a common theme in relationships. Perhaps people expect others to read minds, or you should have known, right? So if we're able to communicate, we're able to have reasonable expectations given a certain situation, that can really help us. Reducing desires. Many people can desire a life of lavishness, a life that they really can't afford to support. And if we can reduce these desires, question what is really good, what is really worth it, what kind of life do we need to live, and sit down and think about this, rather than just simply buying into a narrative from the crowds that you need this sports car, you need this money, you need this house, you need this certain kind of life, well, we can think about that and be reflective, rather than just going on tradition, going on what seems to be popular, or what is popular is not always right, and what is right is not always popular, a common phrase that I heard in high school at least. Reducing attachments is an interesting thing. There's a lot of talk in the text about how change is a common thing. Everything in the universe is liable to destruction. If we're to be attached to material possessions to a point where if we lose them or if they break down, that we're going to be crushed, this is a bad thing. We can't desire something to last forever, including our own lives and the lives of others. We can enjoy what we have in the present and not expect it to last forever. The Stoics encourage us to live modestly and scorn lavish living and luxury, question the desires of the masses, which we talked about. Help yourself and live a good life in order to help others and do social good. The Stoics were convinced that as people were part of a certain brotherhood, of mankind, the humankind, a cosmopolitan type of view, when asked, where are you a citizen from? It was one of the writers who said, I am a citizen of the universe. There's this thought that if we do good for someone else, that's its own reward, which we'll get into later, sort of doing good for goodness sake. Change is inevitable, or to accept it. This is an important thing, as many people might be resistant to change, many people might really hate change, they don't prepare for change, but the Stoics encourage us to accept the fact that change will happen. We can prepare for it, but not have too much anxiety about the future at the same time. 
Virtue, we get this question, where do you get your morals from? Well, the Stoics encourage us to embody virtue in all areas of life and draw from this foundation. No matter what role we happen to be in, no matter the situation we happen to be in, the Stoics believe that we have an opportunity to display virtue, that a good life is accessible to all, not just the super rich, not just people in politics, not just people of certain positions, but even if you happen to be poor, even if you happen to be in a bad situation, you can still embody virtue, even if you are a prisoner of war in many cases. There was more recently a prisoner of war who was in the Hanoi Hilton, as it was called, and he drew from that and thought that stoicism was a really helpful thing. He was able to endure those hardships. Viktor Frankl, in his book Man's Search for Meaning, talked about a lot of inspiration from stoicism, that even in the greatest circumstances, we can still be virtuous, to bear hardships nobly. This isn't an attitude of resignation, or at least completely, that if we can make changes, can change the situation that we can work to improve. But if we're in a situation we cannot escape, well, how are we to bear that? And in some cases, would we even end our life if life gets to be extremely bad and unbearable? Stoics talk about this particularly in end-of-life issues, that if we're afflicted with a terminal illness, for instance, this might be the time to pull the cable as he's talked about in the text. Some quotes here from Seneca on the topic of virtue. Amid this upset condition of morals, something stronger than usual is needed, something which will shake off these chronic ills in order to root out a deep-seated belief in wrong ideas. Conduct must be regulated by doctrine. So here's this idea of not just behaving randomly, not just being impulsive, but rather reflecting on what kind of life we want to live. What sort of foundation shall we have for behavior? Seneca also writes, Suppose that a man is acting as he should. He cannot keep it up continuously or consistently, since he will not know the reason for so acting. Some of his conduct will result rightly because of luck and practice. But there will be, his, there will be in his hand no rule by which he may regulate his acts, and which he may trust to tell him whether which he has done right. So again, it's reflecting on virtues. I want to be a courageous person. This is an opportunity for me to be brave. That even when there is certain temptation, I'm not going to sell out. That if we're to greatly compromise our character in order to gain wealth, in order to gain fame, in order to gain reputation, this would be a disaster on the stoic perspective. So what are some of these virtues? Ambition, courage, bravery, confidence, and defiance. With the virtues also comes moderation, in that we don't want to have so much ambition that we're a fool, that our desires are too high, that we're going to go into something extremely dangerous without preparation. Courage, again, we're not going to go on the front lines of the battle without being prepared for that. And we're also not going to just hide away from everything in the world, stay in our bedrooms, live under the covers, there may be a time for that, there may be a time for break, there may be a time for recuperation, but we're not to just simply give up. The Stoics encourage an attitude of taking action, getting out in the world. It was even Marcus Aurelius who said, what were you born for? To be under the blankets. It might be cozy, but what good would you be if not going out there in the world and doing social good? And that 
even people in all situations can have some sort of benefit for others. Even a casual conversation with a stranger in a supermarket, perhaps a smile on their face, how are you doing? These simple things can be better for others' days. Bravery, confidence, defiance. Marcus Aurelius talks about defiance, that in the midst of hardship, that we can remain calm, that we can prevail against suffering. An idea that people think suffering might take away meaning, but the Stoics will say, no, we can rise to the challenge and we can prevail. Marcus Aurelius writes, be like the promontory against which the waves continually break, but it stands firm and tames the fury of the water around it. I am unhappy because this has happened to me? Not so, say, I am happy, though this has happened to me, because I continue free from pain, neither crushed by the present nor accepting the future. Nor fearing the future, sorry. We want to have an acceptance of what happens around us, a sort of radical acceptance, even victims of trauma, for instance. We can't change the past, but we can accept what has happened and work to move forward. We can recognize that. We can even learn from suffering in many cases. We're not going to desire suffering. We don't want sickness to come on. We don't want disease. We don't want great calamities in our lives. But if they do happen, well, how can we endure that? We can expect that which may ail us. Acceptance, another virtue here, gratitude noting the good things in our life and not focusing on all the negatives. Talking about cognitive behavioral therapy, it was Beck, one of its pioneers, who was thinking about how to combat depression. He noticed that in people with depression, there's a lot of focus on the negatives and not enough on the positive, a bias even for the negative. But with a sense of gratitude, just looking around and saying, well, actually, I have a nice place that I'm living in. I have opportunities to do things. I can volunteer. People appreciate me. I appreciate other people. These simple things people can forget and focus on what might be going wrong in their lives, especially if it's out of their control, but that can really capsize someone. It's something that we would like to avoid. Humility, realizing that we don't know all the answers to everything, that maybe we shouldn't shut out all sorts of perspectives to open ourselves to different ideas, and with moderation too, because all these virtues we should think about moderation, and that we don't have all the time in the world to listen and to consider everything, right? We, we, have to, we have to take a stand somewhere. We can't just be forever and study and spend forever getting started, but just having an attitude of, there might be a different way to look at this situation. Maybe someone else has a thought on this that I haven't considered. Modesty in just simply living a frugal life, a common topic in the Stoic text. This goes along with humility, these other virtues, and even prudence in thinking ahead, and being prepared, and taking action once we get the information. This idea of acceptance is reflected in Epictetus' text. <coughs> he writes, rejoice in what you have, and be contented with what the moment brings. If you see any of those things which you have learned and studied come to pass for you in action, rejoice in them. Every day becomes a festival for you to keep. Today, because you have behaved well in one action, tomorrow, because you have done so in another. This parallels with gratitude. We can note some personal accomplishments that we've had, even from relatively minor. Perhaps we set a goal. Today, I just want to feel a little bit better. I want to maybe exercise, go to the gym once a week that this could be a good accomplishment to be had. 
that if we can set some reasonable goals, we can work toward progress, improving our lives, improving our character, this is what the Stoics focus on. The question of meaning, we hear what point is there in living? Is life pointless? Sometimes from religious individuals and sometimes from many others. The question of how can we find meaning in life? For the Stoics, they tie meaning with virtue, that we can practice virtues in all areas of life and find meaning in everyday experiences. We can play a role in life, contributing to common good and self-improvement. A note on this from Epictetus, on playing a role in life, he notices that there can be many changes in life, that our financial situation might change, we might have to relocate, we might face some hardships. So what might happen? We don't want all these disasters to happen, but we can prepare for them and accept them when we do, when they do. He writes, would you have me poor? Bring that on, and you will learn what poverty is when a good actor is playing the part. Would you have me hold office? Bring it. Would you have me out of office? Bring it. Would you have me suffer hardships? Bring hardships too. And exile, wherever I go, it will be well with me. For it was well with me here, not on account of the place, but of my judgments, which I shall carry away with me. For no one can deprive me of these. On the contrary, they alone are my property, and cannot be taken away. And to possess them suffices me, wherever I am, or whatever I do. So for Epictetus, there's this thought of mindset, that things can happen to us, but we can prevail. If we have a right mode of thought about things, a productive way to live life, this is going to be helpful no matter what fortune happens to throw at us. Focusing on what's in our control, our mindset, our thoughts, our cognitions. There might be barriers to this, there might be cultural influences, but ultimately on a stoic view, it's up to us in so many areas. We can rise to a challenge utilizing our strengths. It can be important to sit down and say, what can I do in the world? What are my skills? What do people say that I'm good at? We could utilize this, whereas many in high school, for instance, might just happen to go to college and take a major, not really consider it. We might be in a job that's really not suitable for our skills. Is this something we want to be doing the rest of our life? Are we just going to give up and just keep doing the same things, even if they aren't productive? So we're to think about this. How can we rise to the challenge? How can we utilize our strengths? This rising to the challenge, we can learn, we can progress, we can grow from testing ourselves within reason, of course. Seneca writes, For it is more of an accomplishment to break one's way through difficulties than to keep joy within bounds. It requires the same use of reason, I am fully aware, for a man to endure prosperity well and to be able to endure misfortune bravely. I should bestow greater praise upon those goods that have stood trial and showed courage and have fought it out with fortune. So here we can see many benefits in rising to challenge if we're not to take on challenges, if we're not to have an opportunity to improve ourselves, that we can lose a lot in that process. We might not get a chance to grow. We might not get a chance to meet a new person. We might not get a chance to encounter new information, to learn new things. So if we see a challenge that seems suitable for us, this is an opportunity. We can be open to that experience. We can recognize that life is short. We don't want to let us, we don't want to let it pass us by. For many of the changes we see, for many of the people who come and go, we can accept, we can recognize the present and relish in that. 
people may go, jobs may change. There can be all sorts of things that can happen to us. So let's not waste the moment that we have, and let's make good use of the days that we have as well. Seneca writes, uh, life is short. I am all the more angry that some men claim the major portion of this time for superfluous things. Time which, no matter how carefully it is guarded, cannot suffice even for necessary things. Why do you torment yourself and lose weight over some problem which is more clever to have scorned than to solve? What am I to do? Death is on my trail and life is fleeting away. Teach me something which which to face these troubles. Bring it to pass that I shall cease trying to escape from death, and that life may seem to escape from me. Give me courage to meet hardships. Make me calm in the face of the unavoidable. Relax the strained limits of the time which is allotted to me. Show me the good in life does not depend upon life's length, but upon the use we make of it. Also, it is possible, or rather usual, for a man who has lived long to have lived too little. Say to me when I lie down to sleep, you may not wake again, and when I have waked, you might not go to sleep again. So it's this recognition that life is short. We have a lot of opportunity. We have so much that we can do. So are we to squander that, to lose that opportunity? Should we want to get in this space where we say, it's too late, I could have done this, I could have done that, but I never gave that a chance. Maybe later in life, people can really lament that. I missed this opportunity, I could have gone to this place, I could have studied this, but I've missed my moment. The Stoics say that even in the now, we can have new goals, even later in life, or to learn new things, or to improve ourselves. And we can find meaning in this process. Even though life can be short, even though we may be limited with our time, we can make good use of it. We can find meaning in doing good for goodness' sake, in helping others. Marcus Aurelius writes, Have I done something for the general interest? What then? I have had my reward. Let this always be present to your mind, and never stop doing such good. What is your art? To be good. How is this accomplished well, except by general principles, some about the nature of the universe, and others about the proper constitution of man? So for Marcus Aurelius, knowing the world, knowing yourself, knowing thyself, the common name of philosophy, can help us do good, to better understand what's going on around us, will give us more opportunity to be useful for ourselves and for others. He also writes, a man, when he has done a good act, does not call out for others to come and see. He goes on to another act, as a vine goes on again to produce again the grapes in season. Find meaning in doing good. Find meaning in making good use of our time. Find meaning in playing a role, overcoming hardships, and rising challenges. Handling adversity. We hear from some religious individuals that they couldn't imagine getting along if they didn't have a belief in God. Some even who or are in recovery from drug addiction, who have overcome some trauma, they would credit religious belief or some miracle or intervention from God as a part of their recovery. And while they may believe that that's the case, maybe they're mistaken, maybe not, perhaps the religious tradition was beneficial. As humanists, we can handle adversity, we can overcome hardships even without religious belief. Common misconception from religious individuals. Stoics recognize that life is fragile. Life is a journey, life is a voyage, life is a battle. And fortune can test us, but not destroy our character. 
There are many analogies in the Stoic texts, as life might be something like going out on the ocean, a seafaring voyage. We can prepare the crew, we can study, we can know how to chart the waters, we can know how to navigate, but there might be a sudden storm. What are we to do when the storm comes about? If everyone just panics and isn't able to steer the ship, then we're not going to have a successful voyage. We might be shipwrecked, right? So the analogy here is that we can overcome the storms in life by preparing for them, for having a good foundation from which to work for. Remaining calm under pressure is the stoic ideal here. On life being a journey, Epictetus writes, if you consider yourself as a man and as part of the whole, it will be fitting on account of that whole that you should at one time be sick, another take a voyage and be exposed to danger, sometimes be in want, and possibly, it may happen, die before your time. For it is impossible, while we are in such a body and in such a world, among such companions, that such things should not befall us, some affecting one man, some another. Again, an attitude of acceptance that change will happen. Suffering is a part of the human condition. But we can rise to this and we can bear these circumstances. Another quote here from Seneca. He writes, The program of life is the same as that of a bathing establishment, a crowd, or a journey. Sometimes things will be thrown at you, and sometimes they will strike you by accident. Life is not a dainty business. You have started on a long journey. You are bound to slip, collide, become weary, and cry out. At one stage, you will leave a comrade behind you. At another, you will bury someone. At another, you will be apprehensive. It is amid stumblings of this sort that you must travel on this rugged journey. <coughs> the Stoics find that although there's hardship in life, there are many positives, there are many reasons to go on living, to rise to this challenge of life and to overcome it in order to live this good life and not be besieged by fortune, not be thrown off and not have life being completely ruined. In handling adversity, we can endure with virtues. We can bear so circumstances nobly. Seneca writes, if it is a good to be brave under torture, to go to the stake with a stout heart, to endure illness with resignation, it follows that these things are desirable. But I do not see any of them is worth praying for, but there is something in them to be desired. I should prefer to be free from torture, but if the time comes when it must be endured, I shall desire that I may conduct myself therein with bravery, honor, and courage. Of course, I should prefer that war would not occur, but if war does occur, I shall desire that I may nobly endure the wounds, the starvation, and all that war brings. Nor am I so mad to crave illness, but if I must suffer illness, I shall desire that I may do nothing which shows lack of restraint. The conclusion is, not that hardships are desirable, but that virtue is desirable, which enables us patiently to endure hardships. So here, although chance, although fortune, although all these things may happen to us, we might not want them to happen, we can accept them when they come and get through it the best we can to make changes where possible to improve our situation. In handling adversity, we can seek support from others, including good friends. There's a lot of talk about friendship, the benefits of social interaction in the Stoic text. One of the discussion groups I had on the topic of friendship was recently. On seeking support, Seneca writes, 
Here, he was reflecting on recovering from illness, and he credited his friends with a good deal of the recovery from the illness. I used to be comforted by their cheering words, by the hours they spent at my bedside and the conversation. Nothing refreshes and aids a sick man so much as the affection of his friends. Nothing so steals away the expectation and the fear of death. So here, reaching out to others for help, for support, for having companions, this is a good thing. Rather than being completely isolated or secluded in moderation, we want to choose our friends carefully. We want to still be able to handle life by ourselves, to be self-sufficient, not to completely depend on others, but to accept that we can have help from others, that our happiness is the... Um, the old Dolly Parton song, Jolene, this lyric, on, my happiness depends on you. This is a situation we don't want to have, that we can be happy even though things can change around us. Have a content life. On the topic of death, we hear from some religious individuals, are you afraid of death? Are you afraid of going to hell? Well, the Stoics, as I mentioned, talk a lot about death in their texts. They say that death is not to be feared, that when death happens, we're simply not there. This is a natural process. This is change. This is something that is inevitable in the universe. Marcus Aurelius writes, all things are changing, and you yourself are in a continuous mutation, and a matter of continuous destruction, and the whole universe too. Termination of activity, cessation from movement and opinion, and in a sense, their death is no evil. Turn your thoughts now to the consideration of your life. Your life as a child, as a youth, your manhood, your old age. For in these, every change was a death. Is this anything to fear? Turn your thoughts now to your life under your grandfather, then to your life under your mother, then to your life under your father, and you will find many other differences and changes and terminations. Ask yourself, is this anything to fear? In like manner, then, neither are the termination, termination and cessation and change of your whole life a thing to be afraid of. So here he sees death as a change. There have been many changes that have happened throughout our lives, and death is simply going to be another change. We can still live in the present, we can still enjoy life, and death shouldn't take any of that away. It shouldn't prevent us from living a good life. It shouldn't put us in a state of terror. It shouldn't take away from finding a degree of meaning in life. Marcus Aurelius notes that death is a cycle of change. It's the end of a life. He writes, every part of me then will be reduced by change into some part of the universe. And that again will change into another part of the universe, and so on forever. And by consequence of such a change, I too exist, and those who begot me, and so on forever in the other direction. So as there is a lot of change in the universe, a change in our lives, we're a part of that universe, and our lives will change to death at a point. We can strive to live a fulfilled life, and not to miss our chance to live. Now, Epictetus writes, Do you not know that disease and death will necessarily overtake us in whatever we are doing? They overtake the farmer at his plow and the sailor at sea. 
what would you like to be doing when you are overtaken by them? For you surely will be whatever you are doing. If you think you could be doing something better than this when you are overtaken, go and do it. So there's a reflection here again of not missing the moment, not missing the opportunity, living a good life, doing what we want to do, making good use of our life before we miss the chance to do that. How do we want to die? There can even be something to prepare for death, an argument for that, and having a living will, and having things sorted out so other family members, other relatives, significant others can be prepared for this in a part of accepting, not just avoiding death, and realizing that this is something that's going to happen. A lot of benefit in that. And finally, that we shouldn't be unhappy about death or desire more than what's outside of our control. Here, we can make steps to improve our quality of life through maybe eating better, through exercising, being in better environments, reducing our stress, reducing our worries, but ultimately, life will end. Epictetus writes, it is never possible to be happy and at the same time yearn for what is not present. For that which is happy must possess in full all that it wants, and resemble a person who has achieved dispel. Neither hunger nor thirst can come near it. All things that come to being are perishable. It is not possible for one human being and another always to live together. What then, to desire impossibilities, is slavish and foolish? It is the behavior of a stranger in the world. We are not to wish absolutely what is not in our power. So here, to think that, well, I would like to live forever, I would like the afterlife, the question is, are these things reasonable? Are these things we can attain? It seems in the current case that no is the answer to this extending life forever. There's some talk in some circles about uploading consciousness in computers, there's talk of the afterlife, and we're wondering, well, do these things seem realistic? Is there good reasons to believe these things? But if we're to desire things that we can't have, and then be upset that we can't have them, that's not going to be a productive way to go about things, to go about life. We'll constantly be unhappy in a state of wanting more, wanting more, and not be satisfied. All right, so with that, we'll go to questions and comments. Thank you for your attention. I was struck by how much in this reminded me of the teachings of Buddhism. I just finished a book on that yesterday, and there were so many scenarios between the virtues, forgiveness and humility and helping others, compassion. Uh, is there a connection? I mean, did the one influence the other directly? Yeah, it's interesting that we see throughout the world in different traditions, many thinkers, many philosophers will come to similar conclusions about the nature of life. And perhaps that's an argument for, yes, there's some, there's some truth in that, that these are helpful principles, but amongst that also were to reject some things that might not seem to be correct. But as for a direct meeting between the minds, I, I don't think that there was any of that. As far as I know. But yes, there's a lot of similarity, particularly in reducing desire, reducing attachment, and yes. not being so concerned about ego. Many, many similarities, yes. yes. The, 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 the Buddha and um, Stoicism were products of the Axial Age um, from 800 BCE to 300 BCE, or to 300 BCE. Um, that's where all the, all the trains of modern thought sprout up independently 
they either influence each other or it completely independently. Um, so the, this is this was all the modern thoughts came up during the Axial Age. One of the things that strikes me about many of, of these types of conversations is one, they accept that it's a, it's a positive and desirable goal, but what specific steps can one take to get there? Right. Yeah, so there can be many kind of goals. Do you have one particular in mind, or is it just a general question about goal setting? Um, the, I guess one of the more general ones is going out of yourself for happiness, mm -hmm. okay? Um, you know, um, do, do, as, as humanists, do good is, is part of the things that we strive to do. And how do we um, get ourselves into, a, into a position where we can do good and feel that we're accomplishing something? Right, so the Stoics will talk a lot about working to improve ourselves and improve our character before going out and changing the world. Is what good can we be if we don't have our lives in order? We want to help others and change the world. Maybe the change can start within, and maybe we can think about the skills that we have and how we can help others, how we can contribute. Perhaps even someone happens to be a musician and they can participate in events, volunteer, they can teach others the craft, and with that can come patience, with that can come a lot of these virtues and good lessons to learn. And the Stokes talk about we can apply virtue, show virtue in all sorts of areas of life, in all sorts of conditions. So doing good, well, we can be mindful of what environments we're in and think about, oh, well, how can I do something here to help someone else? How can I do something to help myself? That can be, that can be a start. Yeah, I, I agree entirely. That is always the question, the procedure. Because even in law, there are laws, and then there's the laws of <coughs> Uh, procedure and they're both separate things, and they both have to be abided for. Aurelius gives you the laws, but he doesn't give you the procedures because I think the procedures are very context and circumstances dependent. But of course, it depends on the individual and how he comes up with people and how he comes up with himself and so forth. For example, if with um, something came up, with, uh, you mentioned that. Um, Let's see now. The, uh, the issue was about dogmatism. Dogmatism is bad, but we feel that assertivism, to be assertive, is good. Now, what about if you, if Aurelius, if Marcus Aurelius was here, what do you think he would say if I asked him now, Professor Marcus Aurelius? Um, what would you think if I was being assertively dogmatic. Oh, I see. Okay, so moderation, I think, is an would important I, way to start. Where would I fall in the good and bad? Right, so if we're, if we're happening to be too dogmatic in a case that there might be a flaw with certain systems, certain structure, certain idea, maybe a counterexample of, oh, maybe this principle wouldn't work here, as you're saying, yes, it can be a very individualist circumstance for a different person. Maybe we wouldn't say, oh, this is the one way to live life, because that can be very dangerous, right? We don't know everything about 
the person, what their character strengths are, what setbacks they might have, where they can shine, all these different areas, right? So saying, well, here's a basis for a good foundation of self, what the fulfilled life might look like. Here's where we can start. Yeah. And, and, and I'm assertive, I have assertiveness. So maybe if we're too assertive, maybe we can be aggressive. And maybe if we're chiding others too much or being nasty toward others. So it's like a good balance, really. Yeah. So another one would be, for example, you mentioned, both of these you mentioned, obstinacy, uh, defiance, mm -hmm. but obstinacy, obstinacy being hard-headed, right, is right. not uh, favored. Right. And again, you could be both at the same time, of course. And I find this, it's important to know the difference because I'm for it, for good or for worse. Because juries, for example, don't realize the difference. And if you, for example, um, th there are some people who usually fall into the area of sales, salesmanship. They could be uh, very, um, very persuasive and, um, and, and at the same time very dogmatic about it and get off as being very truthful and uh, successful in persuading a jury. I know this from experience, that's what I think. Right. So, now, on the other hand, on the other hand, if, if for example, a, uh, a scientist who has to be very kind of careful because he's scared of generalizing, because it's a different field in science. We don't just suddenly uh, prepare, we're not very willing to, be, to appear not sure of ourselves. But unfortunately, in front of a jury, you certainly have to be, I found, more certain than I would normally be with scientists around. Right, because so it's a different situation. This yeah. guy is wishy-washy. I'm not going to vote for his, the position of his lawyer. I vote for the position of the other right, one, right. whose expert is very assertive. But I don't know, he's got this confidence about him, so he must know what he's talking about. <laughs> Right, and we're to be careful of that too, and that yeah, many people can be very sure about what they're saying. Many people may seem very persuasive, but that doesn't guarantee that what they're saying is true, right? Oh, so I just, yeah, they're, they're difficult questions and considerations. On the defiance, I spoke about that particular defiance to fortune, that we're not going to completely resign, we're going to accept what happens, but we're not just going to give up. That we can be defiant in the sense of actually rising to the challenge and overcoming suffering. Thank you. Thank you. So, um, as I understand stoicism, it's not dogmatic, is that correct? Right, right. There's so, warning against being dogmatic, sure. Okay, so then, uh, is there anything in stoicism that would define good and evil? Because in the sense that um, not being dogmatic about a certain situation. For example, um, right now uh, there's talk about regime change in Iran. And then there's other people who say, well, that's crazy. So they both have uh, competing um, ideas and yet is there's no way to judge the good and the bad of it. Mm -hmm. So, so it's it, to me it doesn't really answer the question externally, only within. So, I believe. Okay, let's say I believe 
there should not be a regime change in Iran. He believes there should be. Uh, we're both happy within ourselves, and yet uh, a catastrophe could happen. Right, right. So on, on what, what is good, the Stoics often refer to as virtue as the primary good or even the only good, in that we're to consider these virtues in making decisions and making actions. So on the case of, well, should regime, regime change happen, maybe an approach can be, well, let's put the arguments forth and see which seem to have the most evidence supporting them, which seem to be best supported, which way should we want the political environment to be structured? Who happens to be the good leader? Who happens to have the great system from which to work with? And that, for say, they're not saying all truth is relative or that there is no truth. Um, they're not doing that. They don't think that that's the way to go about things. They, they often rail against vices in the text, even thinking, well, okay, we have this virtue of humility, but then if we're too dogmatic, well, then we're not receptive to others' ideas. We have this idea of modesty, well, maybe, or humility for that. We have this virtue of frugality, maybe the vice can be just an excessive seeking of pleasure, in that they rail against people who would happen to spend a lot of money on material possessions and focus on that as the good in life. And just a quick follow-up with that. Most of these philosophies, uh, or the question is, do these various philosophies, different philosophies, like this is uh, Stoicism, but then there will be Epicureanism. Right. I mean, do they actually clash? Oh, yes, yes. There are a lot of competing schools in that time. You mentioned Epicureanism, or Epicurus and his school, his philosophies. And Seneca talks about Epicurus a lot in the text and says, well, there are a lot of good ideas in that school as well. He talks of truth being common property that if someone happens to put an idea and argument forth, that this is for the good of everyone. But when there happen to be the disagreements, there could be this question of, well, if we're looking for a life that's free from pain, we view that as the highest good, a state of pleasure that maybe we're not focusing enough on the virtues. Another competing school in that time was cynicism, which has nothing to do with the common word now, oh, cynic, you're negative about things, but rather, the cynics thought that material possessions interfered with virtue. You have some popular stories of Diogenes, who was a man living in a bathtub, and it was Alexander the Great allegedly approached him, and he, he thought that Diogenes was such a great man, and Alexander said, what, what can I do to help you? When he said, yeah, just get, get out of, get out of, you're blocking my view, yes. And he also saw a boy, he, he had a cup from which to drink water, I believe was the story, and he saw a boy, was using his hands, and he said, oh, what a fool was I that a boy even had a better idea than me. So the cynics would place less focus on material possessions. They would think that they would get in the way of virtue, whereas the Stoics would think, well, the possessions are neither good or bad, for instance, but it makes a difference in how we use them, that, we, that these are indifferent to good life, but we might prefer them but then again, not too much that it interferes with virtue. So you see some over, some overlap there, some parallels in many, many other schools as well. There's another tolerance, like the guys in the painted pots, they didn't, okay, tomorrow let's go and kill the others in the other pots. They didn't say that. Right, right. I, I don't believe there was any murder. No, they, didn't, they didn't say, we are right, you are wrong. So let's go and kill all the guys who are wrong. Right, right. 
there, there were some times where some of the philosophers would get involved in politics and there would be some intrigue there, there would be some murders that would happen, and some criticisms of Stoicism is, oh, well, some of these men had a lot of power, and um, some, some links to Nero, for instance, but there's questions of, in the text about politics can be a very corrupting thing, that when we see riches, when we want fame, when we want power, that we can corrupt ourselves in the process and not to sell out, to be wary and focus on the good elements of life rather than wanting so much more, focusing our attention on fame or power, that can be a bad thing. Was there a hand? Okay. So, so if there's, um, no, I'll, I'll wait for a Okay, <laughs> we can keep it clear. Yeah, there's a lot of substance here. Uh, you, you have it all at one time, I presume, right? Oh yes, actually I create YouTube videos and podcasts, so, you see my website at justinbuchel.com. I also have business cards where I focus on topical issues. I recently had a discussion about suicide, finding the will to live was the topic of that one. I had interviews with some speakers that have been here before I talked with David Kyle Johnson about the benefits of philosophy. I've had episodes on acceptance. I've had episodes on dealing with grief and fears. So yes, there's, this was more of an introduction rather than just one topic. So you can find this. Yeah, I, I like the idea of the tie-in to psychology, and you know, I guess it's cognitive. I'm not a psychologist, but the idea of reframing your thinking in right. order to, you know, be able to see things in a different way and it makes us more calm. I, I, I like that. That's something I want to pursue, and um, I like the way that death is perceived. As a cycle, mm -hmm. and, uh, you know, and, and looking at it from the standpoint that every stage of life is, that we pass from is a, a, a death, a loss. But then, you know, but then again, the new new stage is is, is gained if you look at it that way. You know, I mean, whatever it is, is right, right. The idea of acceptance, right? Right, right. That was very, very helpful. Okay, thank you. Yes, I'm glad you were able to gain something from that. Any other thoughts, comments, questions? We have a health question. <laughs> you, you said you had another question. No, no, no. I, I, I okay, Bob in the back here. Yeah, um, so one thing, um, I don't know if this led to the idea for this talk, but um, when you get trolled on the internet, when you're making comments, you're bringing up subjects about stoicism, mm -hmm. there's the outright trolls that just are silly, but then you do get people that say, well, what's this, you're, if, you're, if you're a humanist or atheist, what's it have to, stoics were religious, and I think that was something you and I talked about, um, that it's, yes, they were, but um, I think that's where, is, is that the genesis of the idea of the um, stoicism for humanists came from? That, that, that's part of it. Yeah. Another part was just compiling things from discussion groups into a talk here while also using fresh material and filling the need for a speaker. And I thought that would be a challenge as well as, oh, well, I've just been recently working on these things so I can compile a talk and do that and maybe people can gain from the information in a different venue. On the matter of are the Stoics religious? What are you talking about? They mentioned God, this and that. Well, there's talk of God, there's talk of a creator being, often in the texts. 
And in some cases, there's wonder about whether that's a material being, but there's not much talk of supernaturalism as far as I remember, or an afterlife, anything like that. But rather, the Stoics view the universe as an orderly thing, as a material thing. There's a system of cause and effect that happens. There are certain laws in the universe, laws of nature, physics, as we might call them today. So, Mark, one of the one of the writers even said, well, maybe it is the case that the gods don't exist, but we can still live a good life. If the gods happen to exist, then so be it. We've lived a good life anyway. So we, we might find, oh, well, as non-religious individuals, should we just draw away from every religious tradition and say, you know, throw this in the bin and this is no good? Well, I think there can be value to be gained from all sorts of different traditions, even from Christian traditions, Islamic traditions, whatever happens to be the case. So it seems that all the philosophies and I guess all the religions too, I don't know, um, strive for their adherence to live good lives. Is that true? It, it seems to be it seems to be the case in many many, but it depends on interpretation, right? So many people would think that, oh well, killing others an easy example, killing others in the name of the faith, that's that's a good thing, right? Or maybe they're focusing on the afterlife rather than this life. So there can be a barrier there. But as they, they might think that what they're doing is we hear these things all the time and say, okay, well, maybe I'll be limited in expertise and knowledge in a certain way, but okay, let's have a conversation about that rather than as the trolls come out and say, oh, you're this, you're racist, you're a bigot, whatever happens to be the case, you know, let's mention all these things that aren't really productive for a conversation. others 
Um, we want to always be around others, right? So maybe there would be some sort of personal sense of gratitude and experience. People have a metaphor for that. They say, thank heaven, or thank God, or thank the stars, or something. Because they don't have a word to put in there. That's really just a metaphor. You can all post. You could always answer, ask him, which God? Right. Well, they're, Unfortunately, as the case may be, we are pattern-seeking animals, and therefore we seek patterns associated with the combination of cause and effect. And there's no effects which we can see, evidence, or even invent to which there is no cause or no probable cause. And in the probable cause is where God is pulled in. When we don't know, and yet we still feel there's a cause behind this. And God would be our first cause very often. Right. So we see it. Right. So the Stoics talk about that and that we, we look around us and we see and see some handiwork of <coughs> craftsmen. And when we see the craftsmen, we think that there is some, someone who put that boat together, right. for instance. And it's our ignorance which stops us from knowing Right, so they, so they would think that, well, maybe there is a creator of the universe, but one thing I think of is goes further, maybe, uh, with David Hume around the 1700s, 1800s, where he's talking about, well, we have many examples of boats, we have many examples of, of trees, these things that we've seen, and we, we know how 
a boat comes about, we know how a painting comes about, we have experiences of the painter and the painting, but as far as universes are concerned, he's saying, well, we don't have the experience of the universe creation, maybe that can lend us some doubt as to whether there's a creator of the universe. Maybe there can be several creators, maybe it can be some sort of mad scientist, maybe it can be, as we would think now, maybe sort of quantum fluctuation, maybe we're part of the multiverse. You know, there, there can be a lot of competing ideas about that. That is, this is the same reason why science advances, because if you get to a stage where you cannot expose new things, you don't give up and say, well, God made it or left it like that. No, what you do, you say, it's our ignorance, let's chase it. Right, and I don't know, maybe look into it. <laughs> Right. But, but religion doesn't. They say, well, you know, ultimately there's got to be a prime mover, and that is my God or his this or his. Uh, you know, you find you find even an abstract entity to satisfy your needs. Personally. Right, that could be a weakness of being an adherent to a certain tradition, not budging from certain principles, and that instead of going with the I don't know attitude. They'll be maybe resistant to the other opinions. Maybe they'll question the motivations of the person bringing the objection. Or if you have this question of if there is a significant thing, sometimes I'll hear when talking about suffering in the world, for instance, with religious individuals, they will say, oh, well, you, you can't really question God, or it might be a plan that you're unaware of. But we have all this reason to believe, well, maybe, maybe this isn't the best explanation. Maybe it's not an all-loving being. It's not an all-knowing being, but there's a reason to doubt that. Some people might not budge at all from that position, and that, that could be not a good way to be epistemically thinking about things. The limitation is not in the heavens. It's in our brain. And that's a play on somebody saying that, you know, yeah, it's, it's, an it's not in the stars, it's in us. Right, and it's an interesting thing with change and thinking of many cultures throughout times, many areas in our lives that we've been so sure of certain beliefs, but over time we have new experiences, we come to acquire new information, to have this attitude of humility as one of these virtues, right? Yeah. Any other comments, questions? Can I hand over here? Or was that to respond to the other question? That was the dog had a question. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Thank you very much. Thanks for listening and stay tuned for more content. Visit my website at justinvacula.com where you can find links to my social portals including Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram and see past Stoic Philosophy content on YouTube, SoundCloud, and Stitcher. Consider donating if you support my work and would like to see more for this takes time, money, and effort to produce content. Have a great day.